I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 15. Today we will be studying one of the most familiar parables that Jesus shared. Luke 15, we'll begin at verse 11. Luke 15, beginning at verse 11, where Luke writes, Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in desolate living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up. And go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran put his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Will you pray with me? God, we're so grateful for your love and grace and for the privilege now of studying your holy word together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Sometimes when a scripture is really well known, when a story is really well known, that makes it harder to hear fresh what is God saying to us. It's one of the reasons that a lot of pastors will tell you the two hardest sermons to preach are the Christmas Eve service and Easter, because we know the stories. We know the essence of what happened, and therefore sometimes it can be hard for us to hear fresh again. This is one of those parables that we, many of us grew up hearing, we've heard in worship time and time again, we've studied them in Bible studies, other places. How do we hear a fresh word from God again? One of the things that's important to do as well when we look at Jesus' teaching is to be reminded what was the context? Why, why was Jesus telling the story? And if you go to the first two verses of Luke 15, you'll actually see the context where Luke says, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. 
And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus then had told the parable of the lost sheep with the 99 and the one that was lost and the rejoicing when it's found of the lost coin and the rejoicing when it's found. And now Jesus comes to this parable. And this is a powerful story. I mean, Jesus says there was a father who had two sons and one of the sons comes up to him and says, give me the share of the property that's mine. Now, in our culture, in our day, we kind of miss the significance of that. Even in the English, we kind of miss the significance of what's being said, because in reality, the son came up to his father and said, I wish you were dead. That is, in essence, what this son just said. I I wish you were dead. I want the part of the inheritance that's mine, and I want it now. I mean... Can you imagine anything more cutting as a parent to hear your child say, I wish you were dead? Anything more painful that you can imagine? And it was an insult. What a, what a, what a disrespectful way to speak to a parent who had provided for you and cared for you. And what a sense of entitlement to think that any of this was yours to start with. Now give me what's mine. Typically, when if there were two sons, the way this would work, where the oldest son would have gotten two-thirds, the younger son would have gotten a third, give me mine. And it was unheard of in the culture for someone to come up and ask this kind of question because it would also be to shame the father in front of all the other members of the family, all the other members of the community, It was a shameful thing, a disrespectful thing to have done. As a matter of fact, the father would actually have been expected during in this community and during this culture to have kicked him out. Or even worse, possibly to have beaten him. But he would no longer be considered a son. Get out of here. You're the one who's dead to me. The community would have been furious absolutely furious to have heard that some young person actually did this to their father and their mother and harmful harmed them in this way. He would have been lucky to have escaped with his life. But then there's a second blow. Not only do the parents receive this disrespectful, I wish you were dead to me, But then what he does is when the father, for some reason, gives him the share of the inheritance, he goes and sells it. Now, again, in that culture, it was rare to receive an inheritance early. But but if a parent, for some reason, did go ahead and, and deed the property, the rule was that the parents would have use of it, access to it as long as they lived. But he sells it. He sells the property and land was so valuable in in that culture. And that day, it's similar to where I grew up. Land was so valuable in the sense, not just that it was X number of dollars an acre, but it was valuable because it was family land. My grandfather's land, my father's land, my land, the land of my father and my mother, my wife and my children and all of us, it's, It's our heritage. Even today, when you go where I grew up, north of Statesville, out in the country, you will hear people talk about 
who, who is that working the Howard farm now? It, it's not just land, but it's the Howard farmland or who's on the Martin farm or uh, that's the Sloan farm. People knew it was a family owned thing and to sell it, now someone else was living there. Someone else was running it and this son just didn't seem to care, even harmed his brother because this was a family estate and now the brother's farming and living on two thirds of it, but it's no longer the whole estate farm, it's a part of it that has to sustain the rest of the family. We're told too then that after he gets all this and he sells it, it's a few days later when he packs up now all the belongings because he's transferred everything now. These assets are now cash, they're liquid, so he can go. And it's a few days later when he leaves. And I was thinking about that as a father, as a parent, how painful that must have been to have been told, I wish you were dead and still to watch for a couple of days while your kid packs up everything and walks away from you. I can imagine the tears that must have been shed over those days. I can imagine the restlessness, trying to sleep, but tossing and turning, getting up because I can't believe what's happening to my family. I can't believe what's happening to my home. And the son leaves and he, he watches I mean, this was a time when people walked away. So just imagine watching him walk farther and farther away, getting smaller and smaller and smaller and finally disappearing over the horizon. He's gone. Will I ever see him again? I hope he's going to be okay because it's my kid. You can imagine. And then we're told that once the son gets away, he goes to a distant country and he squanders the entire inheritance. Now, the Greek word there implies wasted. He just, he just wasted it. it. It wasn't that he tried to invest it and lost it. He tried to do well and lost, but he, he wasted it on riotous or desolate living, as the scripture says. And, and the Greek word that was used there was used again three more times in the New Testament, such as in Ephesians 5.18 when it's connected with drunkenness or Titus 1.6 when it's connected with rebelliousness and, and 1 Peter 4.3 when it's included in the list of things like debauchery, licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, reveling, carousing, lawlessness, idolatry. I mean, we may try to say, well, he, he was really a good kid deep down. Actually... He was a mess. For honest, this kid, he was a scoundrel. And, and, and he harms his parents. He harms his family, turns his back on the community. He wastes everything. And about the time he had lost it all, a famine hits the land. I think that's real symbolic because it's not only a famine in the land where there's no food to eat, but it's a famine in his soul. He had hit rock bottom. And so the hard times hit, and he has nothing, nothing to fall back on, nothing to lean on. Everything was wasted. So he takes a job, takes a job feeding pigs. Well, down to us, that may not say much, but 
to a Jewish person, a he, one of the Hebrew people, according to Leviticus 11, verse 7, pigs were considered unclean. It was actually a religious thing. It was a, it was a thing of discipline. It was a thing of obedience that was taught. And, and so to feed the pigs meant he was now considered unclean, which meant he couldn't really worship God in the temples or in the, in the synagogue. Now, he just kind of turned his back now on his family and even his faith, his God. And to feed the pigs, that was a sign of ultimate humiliation for a Hebrew person or for a Jewish person to have to take a job feeding the pigs. But then he was so hungry, he wanted to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. Now, I grew up in the country. I watched what pigs ate for us. But, but in biblical times in the Palestine area, there were carob trees as well. And, and, and some, the the pods of the carob tree would be taken and fed to the animals. But if you ever saw a human being eating one, it meant the famine was so bad, they were so destitute that they were now eating animal feed. And we're told he had hit such rock bottom, he would have gladly eaten the pods that the animals were eating. And in verse 17, thankfully, an answer to prayer, he comes to himself. And, and in the New International Version, it says that he actually came to his senses. And, and when he came to his senses, he realized this is not who I am supposed to be. This is not the way God intended for me to live my life. This is not the kind of person that I should be. I have, I just blew it. I, I have wasted my life. I've wasted everything. And here I am starving to death and back home. My father's hired hands have food and, and they have even food to spare. I'm wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. I want to go home. I want to go home. But he knew he'd burned those bridges. He knew he had no more right to claim to be a son. He had wished his father dead. He had wasted the family inheritance. He had offended the family. He had offended the community. He turned his back on his faith and but I want to go home. So he turns, he turns around. He turns around and begins to go home. Now, that's symbolic of repentance because that word repent actually is a word that means to change your mind, to change your direction, to turn. So before he was walking away from his father, walking away from the family, and now he's turned and he's walking toward them. And he practices. He practices his conversation. What am I going to say when I get home? What, what will I do? And, and so he goes, I, I, I'm going to say, Father, I, I've sinned against heaven. I, I've sinned against you. I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Can, can you just let me work as one of your slaves, one of your, one of your hired hands? That's, that's, that's more than I can ask. I can imagine his thoughts. I imagine his fears. Is he going to run me away? Is he going to get off my land? You, you wanted me dead. I'm dead to you. Will, what will he do? What will he say? Will he sit there and go, I told you so, and, and just chastise me and hold it over me all the rest of my life? What will he do? Will he let me work for him? I am so hungry. Please just let me work for you, dad. So when he, when he's approaching his father, his father sees him. 
that same road where he'd watched him get smaller and smaller and smaller and disappear, one day he sees him appearing and gets larger and larger and the father actually runs to him. He'd been looking for him. And he embraces him and kisses him. And what I want you to catch in this in the story is all that happens before the son says a word, before the son is able to say, but father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father has already embraced him, already hugged him, already kissed him. Because you see, God's, God's grace is at work first always. John Wesley often talked about prevenient grace, a grace that goes before us. And Dr. Ted Runyon, who was one of my professors in seminary, always said, but isn't all grace prevenient grace? God's grace is always first. Or Paul says that in Romans 5, 8, when he goes, God proves his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, the father's love is there before he had a chance to say no. And, and, and he embraces and, and the son goes, but father, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And, and I love verse 22 because it begins with the word, but, but the father. But the father said to the slaves, go, go get the robe, go get the ring, the signet ring that was used to stamp things and prove this is from the family. You're, you're part of the family Go get, go get the robe, go get the ring, go get the sandals, kill the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate. The fatted calf, it would have fed more than mom, dad, the two sons, and, and maybe some sisters, and even more family. No, call the village, call the community, tell everybody, the very ones who, who wanted to run him out of town, call them because he's back. Why? It's a grace. It's amazing grace. My son, he was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. It's time to celebrate. And they did. They began to celebrate, Jesus said. Wesley, John Wesley sees this, this parable and in this young son, uh, the root of all sin, he refers to it in his notes. He said, the root of all sin is independency from God. This, this young man had said, you're, you're dead to me. And, and the argument is, is that, that how many of us look to God and we just turn our back on God and, and, and almost say, well, you're dead to me. And we we just leave God, we leave our faith, we go out on our own way, try to do our own thing. And you have to remember the culture as well. These are, are the Jewish people. And, and in the first century, the Jews who heard this originally, as Jesus told the story, they would have remembered, you know, Israel did that. We were the people of God and we were so blessed and we, were, we had it made. We were in the promised land and we turned our back on God and we allowed idols to come into our lives. And, and we committed idolatry and apostasy and all kinds of things. And when we turned on God, we were, we were exiled to another land too. But then God received us back into the homeland. N.T. Wright, the great biblical scholar and Anglican bishop, said that it's like the human race as a whole said to God, I wish you were dead. And famine. Sometimes we feel like we are in the midst of a famine too. We've turned away from God and, and then we just sometimes feel like we have hit rock bottom that 
there is nothing for us to lean on. Life happens and, and it gets hard and, and, and we just feel like we've abandoned everything and that we're, we're in this thing all alone. But remember, the father never gave up looking for his son. And they rejoiced. Why? Well, Dr. Fred Craddock, the great biblical scholar, and he was one of my mentors and preaching professor, but in his commentary, he said, you know, there's a condition worse than death to be lost. There's a condition worse than death to be lost. And then he goes, there's a condition better than life, and that's to be found. Hear the good news. You, you may feel that it's worse than death because you just feel so lost. But there's a condition that's better in life, and that's to be found. And God has never taken his eyes off of you, waiting for you to turn and choose to come back into his arms. And his loving arms are reaching out for you and for me as well. Dr. Alan Culpepper, a biblical scholar, shares that when you, when you hear what the younger son says and does, it, just, it shows us the example of how to return to God. He said, first, there's a, the address. He, he looks at his father and he goes, but father, father, Abba. He's able to refer to his dad and go, you're not dead to me, father. To acknowledge you are my God. You're, you are not dead, but you are, you're the one that I need, father. And then he confessed. He said, I, I have sinned. He, he, he named it and he owned it. He, he didn't try to say, well, circumstances happened. And we often try to, to explain things away. The, the young son just goes, I, I sinned. I have sinned. And then contrition. Because he goes, I, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I mean, I know who I am to be just totally honest with who we are. And then he said, Just treat me like a, a hired hand. But, but the father said, you're not a hired hand. You're my kid. You are my kid. Today we come to this table because it's a powerful story that no matter what you've done in your life, no matter if you got in the very face of God and said, you're dead to me, or you've turned your back on your family, on your faith, and whatever you've done, wherever you are, if you've squandered your life in riotous, desolate living, if you find your face or yourself in a famine, facing a famine, where you just feel like I am at rock bottom, I would gladly eat the pods that the pigs eat. If you just find yourself going, I just want to go home. Hear the good news. If you turn and head home, repentance. If you choose, God, I do need you. I do want to come home. I do want to be in your embrace. You have a God who's never taken his eyes off of you and is looking for you to return. And God proves his love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And as we come to this table today, it is God literally stretching out his arms to embrace you with his amazing, 
grace. My son, he was lost. Now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we are so grateful that even though we may give up on you, walk away from you, live in ways that you did not call us to live, to be people that you did not call us to be, you never gave up on us. You never gave up on us. You so loved the world that you gave your only begotten son. And you so loved us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. And God, we are grateful as we come to this table to be reminded that it is a sign of your love and your grace and how your arms were totally reached out, reaching out for us. And you continue to reach out for us. And God, we ask now that you would indeed forgive us for our sins, for we repent, we turn, we want to come home back into your loving arms. God, we ask that you would forgive us, for we have sinned and we have failed you. And in so many ways we have been broken, but God, you are a God of grace, so we ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us, remove anything that's standing between you and ourselves, between us and someone else. God, as we come to this table, we are reminded how on the night when Jesus broke the bread, he, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And how after the supper, he took the cup and he blessed it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant. It's poured out for you. It's poured out for many. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So God, we come to receive this gift. And we ask now that you would bless these gifts of bread and the cup and make them be for us the body and the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we may be for this world, the body of Christ that has been redeemed, forgiven, Blessed through your blood, your sacrifice, your love, your grace. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.